0: A very warm welcome to you. This is Thanks for the Knowledge, the weekly FanBite news show rounding up the headlines and games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I'm your host, John Warren. This week, I chatted with brand new wrestling section editor for FanBite.com, Colette Arendt to talk about the state of professional wrestling, where new folks can jump in, and whether we're seeing a sea change in American women's wrestling on the heels of a brutal battle between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. None of that makes sense to you? That's cool. You'll catch up. Hey, before we do that, I chatted with Imran Khan about two of the biggest stories in games this week. This week, two of the biggest AAA video game publishing companies in the universe had a banner week for PR disasters, let's say. Why not? Uh, Here to discuss uh, all of that and what it means for... These two companies going forward uh, is our very own news editor, Imran Khan. Hi, Imran. Uh, hi. Hello. How you doing? I'm all right. Um, I'm doing better than Riot and Blizzard this week, <laughs> I think. Um, I want to talk about Riot first because th- this is a really um a really bizarre one so mm-hmm. i have a lot of like i have a lot of questions i i do want to set it up just by saying like hey this company riot has had uh makers of league of legends and valorant and all that in case you didn't know uh also owned by tencent which i m- am obligated to say mm-hmm. uh we all, we are also owned by tencent here at fanby.com but we're editorially independent and we're going to prove it to you in about <laughs> 2 seconds um Riot's been kind of under the radar for a, a you know a, a plethora of things, uh, labor problems, uh, bro culture, sexual misconduct allegations, uh, and, and this week one of those uh, sexual misconduct uh, cases kind of came to a head where a committee uh, cleared C- CEO Nicolo Laurent um, of any wrongdoing uh, from a case that was filed uh, earlier and this is just the latest in the string of things. What, what stood out to you about the way this case kind of came to a head? And then we can maybe get into some of the details about what was released a couple days ago.
1: So basically this is a, like you mentioned a long (laughs) coming thing of uh, in January, Sharon O'Donnell, who was Nicholas and I, I say Nicholas, even though, even in their filings, they go. They use both Nicholas and Nicolas Laurent. So do, I would just go. True. Yeah, I would just go Nicholas and Nicholas, Nicholas Laurent, the CEO of Riot. His former executive assistant is suing him for what she alleges is a uh, hostile work environment, sexual harassment, things like that. Basically, it's one of those things of oh, this kind of makes sense with all the things we hear about right. Riot over the last couple of years. So. This has been going on since January, and we've been getting like scant details here and there from uh, Sharon O'Donnell's lawyers, from Riot themselves, uh, and it's all been like – it's been he said, she said, but in a way that's weaponizing corporate speak and PR in a way I've not seen before. Right. And it ends up coming off very gross, and I think that's what kind of came to a head recently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, and and I think, you know, it's it's important to point out to folks at home that like how this rolled out for us in the press is that we we saw the decision was made. We we heard that, like based on you know uh, the committee's ruling and an outside uh, legal firm that handles a lot of these labor practice issues, um, that they cleared Nicolo uh, the of any wrongdoing, and and it was only hours later until a lot of those details came out in terms of the actual court documents that were filed and then eventually disseminated, and and while. While the documents, to me, to me, I'm still, you know, I can see these documents. I understand why, based on this evidence, they they cleared him of this specific case. I'm not going to go as far as to say, like, you know, I don't necessarily believe anything wrong happened here. I'm not going to say that. Um, I don't think we we know that. But what I will say is that it these documents paint an odd picture for riot. Not just not just because of the the long string of allegations that also include this most recent case but just like the work culture a lot of the details that came out in these documents kind of paint riot in an, in an odd light do you want to talk about some of those details so okay
1: first of all there's like a little bit of a separation between riot self-clearing and these documents sure if you recall in i want to say about four years ago uh riot went in Got into some trouble because they said, okay, in the future we're going to do better. In the future we're not going to – okay, the first thing they said was all our, all our sexual harassment stuff and all that will go to arbitration, which is a third party that usually is biased towards the major company mm-hmm. uh, will be the one investigating that. They ended up relenting a little bit when people started backlashing against that particular aspect. And they said, Okay, for new employees, we will not go to arbitration. We will, you know, let that stand in court or whatever. Sharon O'Donnell was not a new employee at that time. She was already still working for Riot. Right. So for her, she does not want to go to arbitration because as we discussed, that it in the best case scenario is not a courtroom. And that can be a major problem for if you're not a major company. Right. So what these court documents are doing are they are trying to move this to arbitration. Uh, so in in a place that O'Donnell would probably not have as much power or her lawyers right. would not have as much power versus like a judge. Uh, they're doing this by alleging that O'Donnell has been harassing witnesses. Yeah. And Witness trying to get
0: tampering them. is, is like uh, something that comes up a lot. So, yeah. Yeah
1: and they do this with uh two pieces of evidence, two statements from witnesses who are unnamed because right. they choose to be anonymous. But they're I don't know if you got a chance to read their statements I did. John. I did. They don't
0: they don't make a lot of sense. They they like, I I genuinely mean this. Like I I I really want folks to go read these documents because it, I again, I don't know if this clears things up or not or whatever and I I can't speculate and and I certainly or on the side of believing um, uh, victims when, when they, when they, you know, say they've been been harassed or subject to um, misconduct. But it's like the statements, you're right. They, they are strange very yeah. much. So
1: like the, one of the state, I, I fully believe these people. Sure. What I, what I don't really like clock here is why riot moved forward with these statements right. to, to a judge, mm-hmm. because like, they don't show evidence that Sharon O'Donnell was harassing them. They show evidence somebody is that harassing somebody
0: them. Somebody is, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, uh, in like one of them, uh, the first statement, they say, Sharon O'Donnell gave my number to journalists, mm-hmm. which is, like, not great. That's not, like, I wouldn't put that in a polite society book or something, but that's not <laughs> harassment. Right. Uh, that's not, that doesn't fit the legal definition of it, and granted, I am not a lawyer, sure. but I... I think that's a weird statement for Riot to say, okay, yeah, see, proof, Sharon O'Donnell is harassing. Then the second statement was somebody called me and, like, tried to get me to meet with Sharon O'Donnell in a very aggressive way. Right. And But there's no, like, tying it to O'Donnell besides just mentioning her name. Right. And it's all just very, like, I. there's no proof there that O'Donnell is the one who did it especially when you consider the fact that Riot is a company that is well known for harassment and right. like especially of female employees yeah. so it could be like all this is completely accurate and it is ti- like tied to O'Donnell that's certainly possible but the way it's all presented is like extremely strange yeah. in a way that I don't know that they actually intended to get this thing to arbitration based on this evidence mm-hmm. it coming the same day as as we discussed Riot Clearing itself, essentially, they right. use a third party company. But as you mentioned, the the third party company represents them in labor disputes. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't no, it's, arbitrate it's between. Not
0: them. making the claim, the, who made the distinction of, like, who made the actual declaration that they have cleared it was basically a three person committee, um, right. and they use this this legal. Uh, this legal team to basically collect some of the stuff and and get the declarations and all that stuff. But it's three people that ultimately decided that that CEO Laurent is is fine,
1: right? Um, like yeah. it's two one person who is publicly on the board of Riot already, yes, correct? And two unnamed people who work for our parent company Tencent. Well, Tencent, yep. <laughs> basically, like three people who have very good financial <laughs> uh interest in not calling the CEO of Riot, like yeah, calling him out on the and granted. We don't know what that report says. No. We have no idea. It could be that accurate, but they're not showing it to us. No. And they're – they – it's it, – I don't believe someone when they say they didn't do anything wrong. Right. Like, if you, like, it's one thing to go out there and say, like, hey, hey, we're, we're doing it. We're doing an investigation. And another thing to say, like, whew, that investigation we did it ourselves totally cleared <laughs> totally us. Totally
0: cleared it. Yeah. Like, I mean,
1: you you could be completely correct, but I don't believe you until you show me those things. I, I
0: think people really need to understand and, and 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 listen. Like, I've got friends, you know, I've got friends at Riot, full disclosure, like, people I really, really uh, trust and, and, and like over there. So I, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat, I guess, but like, here's the thing. It is very expensive and co- like, uh, it is fiscally and organizationally traumatic to replace your CEO. Like that yes. is a very difficult thing to do for a company of that size. And the three people who ultimately made this decision are like you said, financially disincentivized, hugely to make a shift like that. So you would really hope that whatever committee it is that is ultimately making this decision would not be so unbelievably biased as to not make a change because that would require an unbelievable amount of work and 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 pieces in motion for that to for that to go smoothly. So, like, that really is a big deal. I mean, whether this report is completely accurate or not. um, the, the the revelation that the committee deciding it was based on those the opinions of those three people, um, that's that seems to be a problem for me when I look at this. Yeah, and like if
1: the, what the report would have done in a situation where they decided to rule against Laurent would have been like sanctions. They would have right. put like some degree of sanctions against the CEO, sure. which is you know not the end of the world, but it does from a PR perspective make it look like. Every story about Riot is going to be Riot, whose CEO is currently undergoing a <laughs> sexual harassment sure. story. And, like, from a you wouldn't want that to happen. And I can understand how that line gets drawn from like A to B there. Right. But, oh boy, the way they handle this and like <laughs> PR reaching out to other journalists and like going onto Twitter and releasing these court documents at the exact same time. Yeah. It feels like a coordinated and concerted idea yeah. that I don't think they realize how badly it still comes off once they do that. Cause like, I don't know that they were expecting anyone to actually read the court documents. Cause it doesn't, like I said, it is a bizarre thing for them to put in front of a judge right. and say, we need to move this to arbitration because of our complete lack of evidence here. Right.
0: And they also paint the plaintiff as being just pretty, pretty bad at her job and all this other stuff. And And it's like, it, it just, it just makes Riot seem incompetent in ways that I don't know if they, I don't know if that's her strategy to make them kind of look like, ah, oh, shucks, like we didn't know we had troubles here. We didn't, you know, this, I don't know, this, this EA isn't very good. And uh, pff, wow, she sure did make some trouble. Like that's kind yeah. of how these documents come off. And it's like, well, that also makes you look kind of weird, huh?
1: Like there's a bit, and I I would like to actually read this out loud because this is a bit in one of these court documents that is arguing against, uh, O'Donnell's accusation, but it is such a, again, a bizarre thing to include in here. Uh, Okay, for this is number three. Laurent likewise categorically denies instructing plaintiff to quote schedule his time so he would not need to be with his wife. End quote. On the contrary, Laurent instructed plaintiff on multiple occasions to ensure his professional obligations did not affect his ability to spend quality time with his wife and children. What is that line? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, what is this? Is such a weird thing to argue about? Because one, this is not legally actionable to begin with. Right. So, like, it's at the beginning of court cases, both the plaintiff and the defense tend to like levy accusations at each other that whether they're true or not tend to be trumped up a little bit. This is such a weird thing to take issue with of like, no, I wanted to spend more time with my wife. This person's like, this is a strange thing to put into a document that I think is just them. It feels like them grasping at straws of we're going to deny every single thing we can. And I'm not going to say like rise lawyers are bad or anything, but like, this is, this feels like a, a very, odd shotgun approach yeah. to at least from a PR perspective to yeah. release this to journalists and say, Hey, look, this is not as, or this is more complicated than it looks. And it's like, it looks still fairly simple, but also now a little bit more pathetic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is super strange. Um uh, Who knows where riot goes from here? Who knows what the, the, the feeling inside riot is with with their employees but yeah I, it it's such a bizarre situation um shifting gears a little bit to uh another massive company uh with a uh, partial ownership from Tencent haha <laughs> uh Activision Blizzard uh did a round of layoffs and then um then some other stuff came out do you want to talk about what uh, what was revealed about uh Bobby Kotick's um bonus for this year
1: so, or a couple earlier this week, they Activision Blizzard had their investment uh, shareholder meeting and all that. They announced that there would be laying off 190 people for COVID-related reasons. Basically, people from the, like the esports team, people whom they consider redundant at this point because they don't really have live events these days. And it spreads a bit for, further than that, but like the vast majority was from those like esports and live events teams. The day after CTW, which is a corporate accountability investment group that tends to look at like corporate responsibility, and more often than not, is where we get the information about like CEO bonuses and things like that, because those are not publicly reported as often as you would think. Announced that Bobby Kodak, based on the share price of Activision right now, will be getting a 200 million dollar bonus. You want to say that? You want to say that number one more time? $200 million. <clears throat> to put it another way, the CEO of Nintendo gets around a $2 million bonus, like including their salary. So this is a, an extremely high number. And granted, Activision's share price has been doing very well. Yeah. Partly, ironically, because of COVID and the right. increasing, like, higher, uh, higher sales of video games these days at the same time as their. Laying off people because, like, oh, COVID makes it too hard. We can't have these people on yeah. because, like, what's the point of them working when we have this pandemic that there's they're actively benefiting from?
0: Yeah, I don't know about you, but, you know, if I spent a year watching um, a lot of my employees struggle to work from home and but still maintained – uh, a pretty impressive schedule to get, you know, like updates out for video games and kind of wait, waiting for, you know, stuff to get back to normal and to do more of this esports stuff which was usually affected by these layoffs. If I watch that from the very top of an organization, um, and then were simultaneously staring down the barrel of a share price related bonus because they did so well during covid. And then also Uh, laying off almost 200 people because of COVID. Um, That would be a very easy thing just for the record and for the room, a very easy thing for the CEO of that company to go to their board and say, Hey, that $200 million bonus that I'm owed for doing so fucking good during COVID. Let's maybe trickle that down and make sure that those 200 employees can stay employed. That's it. That's not even close to how much It costs, for those 200 employees to stay employed there. So
1: it's actually like a little bit more fascinating in a bad way yeah. than that. So in 2016 Kodak signed a new employment agreement that would allow him that basically gave him a shareholder incentive clause. Right. So what essentially what that means is the years they don't hit that threshold for the for the share price and he doesn't get the bonuses. Those don't go anywhere; they still <laughs> accrue. So the two hundred million is the fact that because he hit it this year, the years he didn't hit it will get accrued into that, which mm-hmm. is why it raises that two hundred million number. Mm-hmm. Because he's essentially like he's getting a performance incentive, ba- or pr- incentive based performance bonus for years where he didn't hit the performance. Right. So essentially, it's even that, worse. It's even yeah. worse than it looks. <laughs> the the money doesn't go to the employees ever. Yeah. It only ever goes to Bobby Kodak right. when he's ready to get it.
0: Yeah. It's pathetic. I mean, it's, it. I, I don't know how else I've I've been poring over a lot of these things for the past couple of days, just trying to find some angle that isn't the most disgusting thing in the world. And I, I haven't found it yet. Yeah, um,
1: no, it's, it's becoming one of those very clear things. Like COVID laid a lot of things bare. Right. It also lays bare the fact that, it's just business is such a stupid thing to say (laughs) because business is not compatible with the idea of like keeping your employees happy and healthy all the time. Mm. Like it is, it is definitely a thing that you, you leverage only when all those, like all the plans are aligned is like, okay, we're making money and people are happy. That's great. But if it's one or the other, it's always going to be, let's just make more money. It's always going to be
0: money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's like it's not like Activision is making more money with these people, like these hundred and ninety people not having their jobs anymore. Right. I mean, granted, yes, they are like they're not paying those salaries, but that money is just seemingly yeah. going straight into Bobby Connick's pocket. And at some point we have to just realize CEOs getting these ridiculous bonuses for us like it it astounds me that getting bonuses for performance in a year where you have to lay off 190 people, whether you have to or not, mm-hmm. but the fact that you did, that does that seems to imply that performance is not doing well. We have one arbitrary number to decide whether or not someone gets 200 million dollars, and are choosing to ignore the other arbitrary number that is actual people's lives and
0: employment. Unbelievable. And those uh, those uh, those folks who got laid off, by the way, they uh, I believe it was 90 days of severance, a full year of health insurance, and also a 200 dollar gift card to battle uh, to BattleNet. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I, I got laid off from a job once and they gave me a medieval times gift card. And there's no medieval times anywhere nearby. So I'm like, this just feels like it is trying to rub salt into the wound. And that's kind of what I get from this battle net thing of, yeah, the machine chews you up and spit you out, but please give it more money to chew on. Let's go to medieval
0: times when, uh, when things go up, let's go do that. I think that we should do a fan by outing for medieval times. Let's go. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, all right, Emron, I appreciate it. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. Square Enix held a spring showcase this week highlighting upcoming games, and they covered quite a bit of ground in 40 or so minutes, and here are the highlights. Outriders, the new cover looter shooter game that just got a beta, dropped a new cinematic trailer and they went deep into the different classes and powers at your disposal. I have to be honest, this game did absolutely nothing for me up until this trailer, Uh, but the trailer showed me parts of the game I didn't really gather from uh, reading about the beta. I might actually check this out, and as a reminder, it'll be on Xbox Game Pass at launch. Tomb Raider is celebrating 25 years of existence with an animated Netflix show, a digital bundle of the reboot trilogy, and uh, Laura Croft's appearance in Fortnite. Okay. Marvel's Avengers got a trailer for the new Hawkeye character, who looks pretty fun. Arrows and stuff. Second Arrow, <laughs> second arrow character uh, for this game, by the way. In, in like six months. Uh, there's a next-gen update for the game out now with better load times, uh, better textures, higher resolution. They also revealed that a Black Panther expansion is coming later this year called Battle for Wakanda. Uh, Life is Strange is getting a brand new game from Deck Nine, replacing former developer Don't Nod called True Colors, which puts you in the role of Alex Chin, a woman who is a supernatural empath. Players will, cho- uh, will use this power as Alex uncovers the truth behind her brother's unt- uh, untimely death in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. Instead of episodic chunks like previous Life is Strange games, True Colors will drop all at once on September 10th, 2021. Life is Strange and Before the Storm are getting a remastered collection, which will also be bundled with the True Colors Special Edition. Project Athea was shown again in this presentation and given a brand new name, Forspoken. Uh, We saw more of the protagonists zipping around a beautiful open-world environment. This game looks pretty cool. Dragons and open-world stuff. I don't really know what the loop is yet, but it looks pretty cool. And finally, Square announced that they will have a summer presentation, which will presumably replace their traditional E3 event. I would be absolutely stunned if we didn't find out more about Final Fantasy XVI. Hello, everybody. Your friendly neighborhood podcast producer Paul here with the friendly content warning regarding this next chat between John and Colette. There's a small portion where they talk about blood. So I've gone ahead and put a handy timestamp down in the show notes to magically skip through that if you need. You'll hear this sound as a heads up when they're about to get into it just in case. OK, thanks and you're welcome. My guest this week is the brand new editor of FanFight or uh, as it's also known, fanby.com slash wrestling, all of our wonderful wrestling coverage. It is the unconquerable Colette Aaron. Hi, Colette. How are you?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm good. Uh, first of all, um, congrats. And I'm just very happy that you're now editing our wrestling section. Yeah, it's really I'm cool.
2: pretty stoked to be doing it too. So.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And I think like... Um, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on this week is because, like, you know, professional wrestling is, like, such a big part of my life and also my upbringing and also just, like, what I wanted to bring to the site eventually, and that's really cool. Uh, but I find myself, and I'm not quite in the same boat that uh, former fanfight editor LB Hung uh was with their um, current disdain of wrestling, but I'm not that far from it. Right. and. And it's been an interesting couple of years that I've really changed the way I think about wrestling and kind of view it through a a very different critical lens than I maybe did uh, even five years ago. So I, I wanted to point a couple things out. One is that I don't know if there's ever been a better time to get into wrestling just based on the sheer quantity of it available to you. <laughs> yeah. um, and so – what is wild to me is that maybe for someone who isn't super into pro wrestling right now, maybe you can just kind of talk about, like, what's there now and, like, where might be a good jumping on point? Because I actually get that question a lot, and I don't know what to tell people.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things where uh, I, I feel like the Internet has really broken down a lot of barriers of access, which is true of, like, you know, a lot of different – mediums of entertainment but like there's more possibilities for someone to get interested in something like you know japanese wrestling Mm -hmm. uh now that don't involve like you know sending ten dollars in an envelope to someone and waiting for a vhs tape to come by um Like it's just one of those things where if you have if you have an interest in something the odds are that it exists. Um, so you know a lot of people still have this conception of WWE as wrestling, like Capital W wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know if that's what you think, then it's extremely easy to get into. It's on like, USA Network and Fox three times a week, there's eight hours of it, like, have a blast, but it's kind of boring, it is mostly (laughs) filler for commercials, you know, like, no offense to anyone who works there or anything, but, like, I I think that most, like, a a charitable reading of WWE would be that they kind of went creatively bankrupt five years ago, and Mm -hmm. are, like, Accelerating the pace at which they're going morally bankrupt, um,
0: <laughs> which which seems impossible, <laughs> impossible with that family. But you're right, yeah, yeah
2: it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, you know, that's that's not really a good place to start. I feel like um, a, a, an easier place if you if you are more into like uh, kind of like you know localized American style wrestling might be a thing like AEW, uh, which is also on on regular television on TNT every Wednesday. Um, where like the majority of not the majority but like a a large amount of the significant and important characters uh, on that show are like you know not burdened with like 20 years of history in a previous promotion or character Um, so it's like really easy to catch up on like Who is, you know, who's the Dark Order? um, Or, like, who's Hangman Adam Page? uh, Which we have a series of essays on FanFight that, like, conveniently explains that. Um, But, like, there's... um, It's a lot easier to buy into that product than it is to buy into something that, like you know, is very proud of having been on television. Like that's the bar that they said. They're like, we've been on television every Monday for 30 years. Like that's our achievement. Um, Whereas like AEW is trying to do something by like bringing in like a mix of people and whatever. And if you're like, you know, 30 something and and wanting to get into wrestling, like that's a product that is made by and for like, you know, 30 year old people who, who have enjoyed wrestling for a while. So it's kind of like a, a greatest hits smattering, but what's more interesting to me is, like I said, like it's easy to get into things like lucha libre and uh and Japanese wrestling so long as you're willing to do a little bit of like google searching and like yahoo like yahoo uh youtube <laughs> <laughs> no 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 you got to pull up yahoo <laughs> gotta, yeah, you your... got full of yahoo <laughs> um cuz like there's like you know modern lucha libre like i feel like a lot of people kind of have an understanding of of what lucha libre is like at least on the surface like it's masked wrestlers doing cool stuff and um like several of the biggest promotions in Mexico have free shows on YouTube and Twitch. Very mm-hmm. easy to find. Um, in Japan, the, the biggest company uh, is a uh, new Japan pro wrestling and they have an online platform uh, called new Japan world. And, um, mm-hmm we have regular coverage of new Japan at the moment. And I think that of all of the promotions that kind of were affected by the pandemic, like quality wise, Mm. new Japan has kind of hurt the most, but like, there's a lot there. Um, there's like a decent mix of like good wrestlers, funny wrestlers, wrestlers who hit each other very hard and, and all that. But like new, new Japan is also one of those things that I feel like you need a guidebook to get through. Um, like honestly yeah. just cuz there's there's so much there
0: but I feel I feel like you need a primer almost every year like every year, because yeah. there's there's a lot that shifts around and if you're familiar with American wrestling there really are some fairly fundamental differences just with the way like stables work and yeah. like I don't know there's just a lot of stuff where um the the parallels between US and Japan kind of get really blurry like a lot of things are recognizable but just off kilter slightly so it's like It's hard to get into. So yeah, primers are are good for New Japan.
2: And it's like, it's one of those things where I feel like New Japan is one of those deals where you get hooked by like an individual wrestler before kind of falling in love with. And in that instance, like when you're like, all right, like here's who you need to get into, like, you're not going to be recommending, you know, Hiroshi Tanahashi matches from 2020 or 2021. Like you're going to be recommending Tanahashi matches from like, you know. 2012 (laughs) or something yeah yeah, you know like that that sort of thing so like you know if you're not looking for like a deep dive into the past like I would say that um there are a lot of promotions in Japan that do not require that like you know obviously it's like asking like how do you get into Star Wars in 2021 like (laughs) sure you know, like, do you start with the original movies? Do you start with Jar Jar Binks? Do you start with, like, Star Wars Battlefield? Like, that kind of thing. Like, and, and, and it all depends on, like, how deep you want to go. Um, New Japan is, like, kind of the deep end, uh, as are promotions like Noah and uh, All Japan, which, like, have also existed for a very, very long time. It might be easier and ultimately, I think, like, more interesting to try to get into, um, Joshi, which is Japanese women's wrestling. Um, and there are several services available that, that offer this, um, like the most popular promotion is stardom. Um, they have a, an online platform that is, is great. Um, I think it's less expensive than any other one. Um, but like they're out there doing like matches where like women are putting their hair on the line against each other. And like <laughs> <laughs> the loser is like actually getting shaved bald and has to live with the consequences of the match for like, you know, real time and space, like true, true stakes. Um, and, There's also promotions like, uh, Tokyo Joshi pro, um, that are also like, you know, I hadn't followed them until like maybe late last year and I had no problem jumping in and it's not because I'm like an expert or anything, but it's because the characters are so like black and white, like here's who these people are, here's what they do. And like, once you start watching people do the actual physical process of wrestling, um, you just kind of fall into it. Like you either, you either get it or you don't. And if you don't, you can keep trying until you do. Um, But I would, I would say that like, generally speaking, like if you're, if you're looking for American wrestling, uh, AEW is probably the easiest to get into right now without, you know, uh, falling into like some kind of weird trap where you're watching skeevy dudes do death matches uh, (laughs) in a garage with 20 people in it during a pandemic. uh, Or, you know, watching WWE, which is a different kind of death match. And, uh, you know, like the the bigger the promotions are in like Japan or Mexico or anywhere like that, like the more difficult it's going to be to actually kind of get the narrative element of the storytelling. But um, smaller promotions, I think, are a lot of fun to get into and like offer kind of like... A more intimate kind of like fandom where like you kind of get mm-hmm. to know these people as their characters, um, like much quicker. Like, um, someone that we'll probably talk about shortly. Um, like I think the reason why I got back into Joshi Wrestling was uh, was Maki Ito, um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: who's like this failed idol character. Um, who like you know, I don't listen to idol music or like you know, women's pop music from like Asia in general, but like I got her character immediately. Like she's so energetic in it that it's like hard not to be captivated. And now I watch the whole slew of product coming out of Japan, uh, for like the first time in like 10 years or so, like based on one wrestler. So yeah, Yeah.
0: plenty to dig into. That's, that's pretty powerful. I mean, speaking of, you know, you, you mentioned AEW, you mentioned Maki Ito. Maki Ito is now appearing in AEW if you want to, uh, check her out. Um, yeah, if, if, uh if if no i mean you should just go watch dear listener you should just go watch a maki ito match but uh, if you had to condense kind of like the vibe of maki ito into like a sentence or two what what would you say
2: um oh that's (laughs) it's hard yeah it is it's really hard um i think that you know it's it would be a lot easier to do that if I if I had like a bigger appreciation for like the style of music that she came out of. But, <laughs> sure,
0: right. Um, but like there, there, was, general, there was there like, was a ca- there was a captions writer on the on the episode of Dynamite from last week that wrote Sing- singing mediocre at best or something that was like <laughs> that while is, she was doing her thing, which is like is really the thing, really good. Like,
2: yeah, that is like that is though. That's kind of her vibe. Like the thing yeah. is, like you know, I I want her to win every time she wrestles, and she never wins. Like <laughs> right. it's like it's one of those things where it's like she is trying. Like she's trying her best. She's she's also a mean girl. Like she's a mean girl who's trying her best. Yeah. Um, and it's it's pretty great. Like I I think that the dynamic uh, is is a little bit different in the United States because like you know there is a sizable. Um, audience for like girl group music and actually a fairly decent crossover between like wrestling audiences and people who like you know Japanese pop music right um but like you know for for someone like me who like just listens to the same Saint Vincent album like every night um <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like I I love the way that she looks I love the way that she wrestles like I love that her primary move is a headbutt that she always tells the other wrestler is coming <laughs> um like her her thing is that she has an unnaturally hard head yeah, um, which is very good and she's good,
0: constantly yeah. giving you the finger too constantly. which is great um which is very good so, um
2: yeah she's she's worth checking out um like for sure and like her debut like on american television at like the revolution pay-per-view um if you can find the tweet where she comes out and like does her the entirety of the song that she learned the night before <laughs> um like on her on our way to the ring like i think that you will uh like quickly understand kind of like what the appeal to this sort of character is um yeah. actually that was from dynamite like a week ago so yeah yeah that's um, when
0: she sang for the entire while well, a lot of other people were getting beaten beat up, uh, yeah, beat up like, very badly in the ring
2: she was just singing
0: which is great
2: yeah it was good it was it was an amazing spot um really like i loved it good it's like she's she's a good time
0: yeah what what's i I, you alluded to it earlier especially with like wwe being I, i totally agree with you i think creatively bankrupt is being kind for what has happened over the past five years um and and i would also agree that new japan's decline in quality has been pretty rough i mean i think a lot of that is pandemic but i think we saw some signs of it before that too um what what's good right now? I mean, like not, I, I totally agree that I don't think there's one promotion that's doing everything right. But besides Maki Ito, who are some maybe highlights or, or aspects of, you know, an organization that you're, you're particularly fond of right now?
2: Um, yeah, I mean like on an individual wrestler level, like I can, you know, pick and choose like from just about any promotion that I, I I follow even like semi-regularly, like, you know, it's a it's a weird thing, but like uh, WWE recently made Bobby Lashley the champion of the Very show cool. of Raw, um, which is yeah. like great because like for the past year or so, like his stable, um, the Hurt Business had been like kind of anchoring Raw through uh, a lot of like, frankly, extremely rough material because yep. like WWE, uh, despite being the the force that made it so that wrestling was a weekly occurrence uh in a, in american culture during the pandemic uh did not adjust particularly well to it so far as producing content is concerned like i i just remember like early on like the group that bobby lashley is a part of like participating in something called raw underground which was like mm. uh like a illegal underground karate tournament sort of fight club deal Um that was where so like weird. sexy women danced around to like vaguely porny music and mcmahon's son like forced his employees to beat each other up bare knuckles Mm -hmm. um and then a year later like you know because like the presence of that group remained so strong like they weren't damaged by that if anything they were the people who benefited from it and like lashley won uh the title which is is good like he'll have a good wrestlemania match but more exciting for me is that like old man 1970s submissions are now championship material again. Like I love that essentially like <laughs> hugging someone's head is enough to win a title. Um you know like on NXT they have uh interesting like characters like Malcolm Bivens uh and and Tyler Rust have been doing um like a a, a fascinating kind of reintroduction to how managers work because right kinda of devalued like the role of a manager for a while, which if, if if y'all aren't familiar with that role, it's like kind of a um like a side man on the outside who's like, you know, hype, like a hype man, but also like a corner man, like strategy, um, like, you know, inspirational motivation, yeah. cheating and all that stuff. And and then
0: like, the seventies and eighties, this was an in an, an integral everywhere. part. Yeah. I mean it was everywhere and it was uh often what kind of uh added a perception to a wrestler that they were important. Like it yeah. was a, it was a marker of value and also a, a deeply active instrument of, like you said, cheating and strategy and all this stuff. And, and that had, they've really gotten away from that over the past, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I,
2: like it makes, it makes a certain amount of sense that they did like right. wrestlers themselves got more charismatic and managers don't make as much money. So if you were looking to get into wrestling, why would you want to be the second banana essentially? Yeah. But, um, like the, yeah, the, 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 the way that managers used to be perceived in wrestling was that they were essentially in charge of all business relating to a wrestler. Like mm. they booked the matches, you know, they, you know, got the hotel rooms, they handled travel, like all this stuff, like all of it. Like it's, it sounds very boring, but they never show that part. They just show the part where like the manager is being super mean to the, to the upcoming opponent, <laughs> but like, right. you know, WWE has tried to have managers again, particularly in NXT. And I feel like AEW has also done a lot of like manager stuff, but like they're taking Malcolm Bivens character, like seriously, like they show him like making an argument for allowing him to book the matches that, that Tyler Rust is in, as opposed to Tyler Rust just challenging the biggest dude in the room Mm -hmm. Um, and like doing scouting and all this other stuff. And it's, it's really interesting to kind of see that element come back into it um i think that this is true of american wrestling in general like on tv at least because like right now it's hard to get a lot of indie stuff but like you know women's wrestling has been great this year um yeah and there's been a fair amount of like highlight on that some of it good some of it not so good um like this has particularly been um something that i have Continued watching AEW for, but have been endlessly frustrated by AEW with, is right. like how good its roster of women's wrestlers are. Great roster. Are, yep. uh, and like how inconsistently they're featured. Um, yeah. And last night, um, or Wednesday night, like there was a, um, like for the first time, like women main evented their television show, which I'm always kind of like cringy about applying like first time to achievements by women that shouldn't. Sure have to be achievements right um but
0: <laughs> they're, they're on your roster they're, yeah, they're like, like they're they're part of your show like, like yeah you
2: know and you know the company that y'all are ostensibly trying to be different from had already run the gauntlet of first time ever women's matches like yes. a year and a half before you were a company like this should have just been a thing from the start um but you know like it wasn't so um someone had to do it and uh like on dynamite it was uh brit baker and um Thunder Rosa, uh, a, I call
0: her a, Surfer Rosa on accident almost all the time, <laughs> which, which both <laughs> dates me and makes me, it, it's, it is terrible, but yeah, Thunder Rosa is great. Anyway, yeah, sorry.
2: She's great. Surfer Rosa is a good song. It's a good song. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, great song. It just, it just um, ages me
0: every single time I say yeah, it. So. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, she, like the two of them had a, a, a lights out, anything goes match on Dynamite, which is essentially no disqualification, but they, right turn the lights off to signify that it does not count as a real match, despite the presence of a referee and a bell and audience.
0: That's my favorite Uh, thing. The unsanctioned (laughs) match, which still involves a referee and all this other stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like there's an unsanctioned match in like Rocky five, but like they're fighting by a garbage (laughs) truck. So (laughs) like it's for real, there's no ring. Um, but like it, it was amazing. Like it was an, it was an astonishingly good match. Like, um, everyone has kind of been talking about, um, Britt Baker as like initially she was kind of like the failed like face of the women's division when she was like a, a baby face good guy character who like they would not stop mentioning how often she was a dentist. Which she uh, is in real life. She is. Which, She's a real yeah. life dentist. Right. Uh like she has a she has a degree in everything. Um <laughs> so like they like like ostensibly forced her to turn heel by making the idea of a of a wrestling dentist so unappealing um (laughs) and and she's like killed it in that role for a long time um like you know she she is like honestly i think one of the best heels in american wrestling at the moment yeah um so like this was kind of like her coming out party as far as like being a serious like Brett as a heel wrestler is concerned too. Like um she she lost the match, but like I saw people on Twitter um kind of comparing it to um like the way that like Triple H or like Randy Orton would have become like big stars as a consequence of like a a really bloody like right kind of street fight and Sure. I I agree. Like she took a lot of risks that, you know, people don't tend to associate with women's wrestling in the United States and Yeah like they paid off. There's a lot of incredible pictures that came out of it. Like, you know, supposing that you like pictures of wrestlers bleeding, uh, which has (laughs) been a regular feature of wrestling for, for 50 plus years. Let's, let's
0: let's talk about that. Let's talk about blood. So folks at home, we're going to talk about blood for about, I don't know, five minutes or something. If you're uh, squeamish about even hearing about it, but like that was a really notable thing from the match this week is um, you know the the crimson mask in wrestling is something that like, yes, like you said, has been around for a long time. I think it has been, especially in mainstream American wrestling, de-emphasized. Uh, you know, if, especially if you're into WWE. I mean, there was a period mm-hmm. where matches were stopped. the 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 TV would go to bl- uh, to black and white as yeah. to not show the blood. Like there was a time where you know mainstream American wrestling shifted from we're going to show you everything. And this is something that like is part of the business too. This is something we want to try to get rid of. And, and it was kind of, I feel like it was kind of done uh, hand in hand with the chair shot stuff to the head. But like, I I've always felt that these are two very different things. So it was a
2: response. Like it was part of the response to people suddenly being like, Oh, like a wrestler murdered his wife and child. Wrestling must be pretty violent. Um, Because, like, right. yeah, when I was looking for pictures for an article recently uh, of a show that happened in 2006, and, uh, like, the photos on the website had been posted in, like, 2007 uh, on, like, WWE's website, and any any picture involving, like, blood had been turned black and white, and, like, yeah. you know, any profanity on signs had been, like, crudely photoshopped <laughs> Flirt, out. Like, it was, like, right? they, like, they really went, like, puritanical on their old product for... Yeah. For a while, like, you know, at least until, like, the WWE Network started, at which point, like, it was just like, well, if we doctor all of this old footage, it's going to take us a million years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like, there's, I, it's it's completely different. Like, there's a huge difference between, like, brain trauma um, and and blood, but they were trying to sanitize their own image, essentially. Right.
0: And so I think what was fascinating about this and a lot, a lot has been made of it. Some understandably and some, you know, some strikes me as maybe a little, I don't know, maybe overstated, but like the fact that, that, that um, Britt Baker was covered in blood by the end of this match. I mean, one of the, 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 the most uh, yeah. One of, one of a, a really interesting shot of her covered in blood at the end of this match, which like, I, I was struck by that. I was not watching it live. I was uh doing some work here. I obviously have TweetDeck open because I'm a pervert and I can't close it. Um <laughs> but like I, that started to come on my screen a lot and I was like, "Whoa." You know, that that did stop me in my tracks because it's just not something I've seen is a is a, a a woman on TV covered in blood after a wrestling match. That's just not something I I I remember ever seeing, I mean, obviously there was a, a a fairly famous image of Becky Lynch in the WWE who had gotten her nose broken during a brawl on accident, you know, and this is not really part of the, the plan and that got a lot of play too, but this felt a little bit different to me. So I just didn't know if you feel like there might be a shift in how that roster might be treated going forward, or are you still kind of um, hesitant about, about what they might do with the AEW's women's roster?
2: I'm real. Wait and see on yeah. on how AEW moves forward from this. Like, because the other thing that was kind of worth noting was that yesterday was, I think, like the first time in a very long time that there were two women's matches on Dynamite. Like, God, that's, usually that's it's nuts. like one segment. Um, but like this time it was two, and like the main the like the main event it being the main event was important, and it getting like, you know. 18 minutes of, of TV time was also pretty significant. Cause like a segment right. in wrestling, like in, in regular broadcast television is like 15 minutes. That's how mm-hmm. they do ratings and stuff like that. So like giving it like an entire segment plus like an overrun is like pretty indicative of, of how much trust they had in those two performers at that time. Right. But like, it's still one of those things where I feel like they're building up like everyone on that roster to the point where like they can be in the main event and not just like, you know, Kenny Omega and like John Moxley and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting, like I, in my brain, I don't have too many images of like, you know, I think that this is maybe it's, it can't possibly be the first time on like a major program that like a woman has bled in the manner that Britt did, which is to say intentionally. Yeah. Um, Like, the Becky Lynch thing was when she broke her nose, but I will say that that was the start of Becky Lynch as, like, you know, I don't know what things will be like when she returns from maternity leave, but, like, you know, when she broke her nose, or when Ronda Rousey broke her nose, like, Becky Lynch pretty much... Almost immediately became like the most popular wrestler, a, a in WWE. folk
0: hero, basically. Like, period. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah.
2: Like a lot of that was based like on how similar like her bleeding looked to Steve Austin bleeding mm. in the I Quit match between he and like and Bret the Hitman Hart at like WrestleMania thirteen. Um, like I think that they actually like made a shirt that like echoed yeah. kind of the shirt that they made for Steve Austin. Like blood is is it's so weird that like blood is capable of making someone into a star just by like the way that it looks on their face. Like it was big for Ric Flair. Um, you know, it big for dusty Rhodes. like the way that that looks like, it makes you look sympathetic. It makes you look psychotic. Um, and like in in Britt Baker's instance, like as a heel, like it made her look crazy. Like she looked like she enjoyed what was happening to her. Right. Right. Um, which, like, considering that she was being like you know dropped onto like thumbtacks and like slammed on the ladders and stuff like that, <laughs> not not a not a fun night. But she looked like she really really enjoyed it. Um. And and yeah, like I I I do not see, you know almost on like the opposite end of that spectrum, like if it wasn't for the fact that, that Riho or not Riho that, um, Maki Ito like lives in Japan and like has a schedule to keep in Japan and all this, like, you know, it would have been crazy to me if she stayed in America and AEW didn't like immediately push for her to be like a serious thing on television because that's how popular like she was when that happened. And the same is kind of true of this, which is where like, you know, a lot of people like, again, people were, Huge critics of, of Britt Baker Like a year and a half ago um, Who are now like Holy shit like she's incredible Like look at what yeah. she's capable of doing Look at what she wants to put herself Through like blah 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 like And that's like An amazing Place to stand as a heel Because it means that you can Like you know credibly say Like I am willing to kill myself for what I believe In right um and at the same time, like, if she ever turns face again, it's, it's like a symbol of, like, determination for her. So, like, this, this could yeah. be the start of her as, like, a serious, like, major star in AEW. And I think the same is true of Thunder Rosa, too. Like, she's gotten a little bit yeah. left out of that conversation a little bit because, like, she wasn't taking the majority of, like, the huge bumps in the match. But, like, she was fantastic. Like, she was true. great. Um, Like, th- that match had four months of, like, on-again, off-again like storyline built Mm -hmm. to it but like I I really don't think like you know again supposing that you you are the the sort of viewer of entertainment who um isn't turned off by blood like uh that match actually I think is one of the best things that's happened in wrestling this year so far if not the best and like Honestly isn't a bad place to start. Like yeah. it seems it always seems weird. Like I'm always the kind of person who starts people off like with like the weirdest possible thing. Like, yeah, I can show you Hulk Hogan body slamming Audrey the Giant and you'll get what wrestling is about. But I would rather show you this match where the wrestling ring will explode in fifteen minutes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. you know, not the one that just happened, but um yeah, I yeah. used oh, to I used ones. to lead. Yeah, I used to lead with the old ones. Um but like this is like it's great it gives you a sense of who both of these these women are um as as wrestlers um and like it's a it's a competitive grueling match that doesn't wear out its welcome like i i think that the past year or so of wrestling has really worn me out on the idea of spending more than 10 to 15 minutes with a match but
0: right um, yeah
2: i could have lived in this one a little bit longer and and that's that's really what you want as someone who's watching wrestling is um you know wanting more, but in like a positive way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, r- real quick. I, I did want to point out something that, uh, I, if, if you are interested in getting into, uh, WWE right now, specifically, um, there, there was a very, I'll say, I'll just say it a very cool thing. When you think about the, the actual amount of content you would get called the WWE network that yeah. is now going away. <laughs> what is so amazing to me, Colette, is that, they are expecting me they're just gonna shut off the service yep. okay and they're gonna expect me to mosey on over to peacock.com and sign up for a brand new uh brand new uh service and and they're not going to transfer services I know I th- I know that the deal terms of this of this deal where peacock the NBC streaming service, uh, it has a deal with the WWE library. I know it is lucrative for WWE. So like, I, I don't want to get into like, is this a good deal or not? Because I think that's like a much larger question anyway, but like, d- does it say anything to you that, that this process is now going to be very odd and strange? Like uh, how does that read to you? Because I have I've been thinking about this a lot in the past couple weeks. I don't really, I think it is very strange that it's not such an easy process.
2: I mean, that is very WWE to make it not an easy <laughs> process. Um, like, you know, it's not exactly a thing. Like for me, I, I, I keep thinking about it in terms of like, all right. So in 2014, the value of a WWE pay-per-view was $50. And then in 2015, the value of a WWE pay-per-view was nine ninety nine. But you also get access to like every wrestling show that we're willing to put on our like very bad interface like whatever and now terrible
0: interface like
2: like now the value of all of that is nothing unless you also get an ad free subscription to every episode of 30 rock and battlestar galactica (laughs) um like that's like that's where they're at like um so far as like the the experience like i don't i don't know like i i remember like when when Dragon Age Inquisition came out and they were like oh you can upload all your character information into the vault and all of your decisions from the previous <laughs> games will transport over look at split no problem it didn't work like it just didn't It didn't work, work. yeah um, and you know like part of that like cuz you're like migrating like generational whatever like and it's just i don't know how easy it would be to transplant someone's like information from WWE to Peacock, and honestly, I wouldn't want them to because right. I already wouldn't trust Vince McMahon with my credit card number. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. let alone trusting like you know Universal, Vivendi, Comcast. Like, <laughs> I, like I don't. I yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that they're like they don't care. Like they don't care. Like they yeah. they, they don't have to. Like it's on they Peacock to. now. Like right. They're they're essentially doing this. Like Peacock thinks that it's a great deal because nobody wants to see uh like a episode or like a, a TV show where Ross from Friends is an NSA agent or whatever that show was. <laughs> um, so so they're 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 rolling high on the prospect of, of WWE network <laughs> subscribers coming over. Um, which, you know, it might work. Like, I don't know. Everyone's getting weird, like yeah. really when it comes to like what they're doing. Like, who knows? Maybe They've been talking about having a second, like, actual AEW television show for a year now, and it's like, well, that could happen on, like, TBS, or it could happen on True TV, or it could happen on HBO Max, like... It can only happen yeah. on
0: TBS if they started at 5.05. Yeah, 6, 6.05, at, yeah. 6.05, 5.05 Central, yeah. 5.05 um. for you,
2: yeah. <laughs> um... But uh, yeah, they got to start that on Turner Time, or it doesn't count. They're dorky enough that, yeah. they that they would
0: too. They they absolutely they're a hundred percent they're dorky. Like they're really
2: dorky. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I I don't plan on subscribing to Peacock. Um, I don't
0: either. That's that to me. That's the wildest thing is that like I've just had a, I've had a WWE Network sub just going in perpetuity since it started, and it's yeah. because I just have an attachment to a lot of that library. If I if I'm like feeling you know especially anxious or something uh i'll fire up the first 30 minutes of survivor series 1991 why i don't know it just feels like a hug i don't know why but i do that and it's like that's that's just kind of what i do but like it feels like it's almost like an excuse to break up to me this this whole idea of just like you know, I don't know. Like, I I, I, once dated, I once dated someone that moved, like, 15 minutes farther away than where she lived. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. And, like, yeah. that's what this feels like to me. I was like, well, I, okay, it's over here on Peacock now. I don't really know if I'm going to do this. No, so, it's like, interesting to me.
2: I don't know what the Peacock interface is like. I don't know how much of the WWE Network stuff is going to be there from day one. Like, I don't need
0: to see the fucking office. Like, yeah. that's not oh, a selling no. point to I, me. I don't. Like, no. I can just
2: walk into the public and have a whole episode recapped like right now. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I, it's one of those things where like I, for someone who talks as much trash about subscribing to the WWE network as I do, like, I also have a subscription to it cause I work with a lot of it and like, right. you know, it's a lot easier for me to go like, all right, here's like this 1997 episode of raw as opposed right. to like, all right, I'm going to download this from a BitTorrent website and like hope right. that I don't get caught, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I'm strictly on team buying a very large external hard drive now when it comes right. to this product. Like yeah, I, I get that. You know, it's it's one of those things where like if you're interested in current WWE, like it's I guess it's worth it for the pay per views. Um right. but like, you know, they don't upload new episodes of Raw SmackDown or NXT until like two months after the fact anyhow. Yeah. So like, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't really be missing much if you didn't make the transfer over. Um but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because like the other thing too is like, I guess if you were that kind of person, you could just use a VPN to access the WWE network as it exists in other countries, in,
0: in the UK and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so that's true.
2: Um, if you if you don't want to, uh, you know, hand your wallet over to Jack Donaghy for for the privilege of watching <laughs> Drew McIntyre, um, you know, defend the WWE championship, um, you don't have to. There's that's options true. for you. Yeah, you don't there have are to. Options. There's, yeah. there's, there's plenty of options, but, um, yeah, if you've, if you've been on the fence about breaking up with WWE for a long time, let it be, let it be, yeah. just, just let this be the fence that that goes up between the two of you. You will not yeah. miss it.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Well, Colette, I really appreciate you chatting wrestling with me. I think we should do it again soon. Um, yeah. this is a blast. Where can folks uh, find you online? Uh,
2: you can find me on Twitter at Colette errand. um, and uh, you can find what I've been writing about wrestling at, on fanfight uh, which has been a lot of fun lately. I've been talking about mullets and makeup and <laughs> it's been great. It's <laughs> all, been really all sorts good. of stuff. Um, but we also have like a lot of really great coverage there uh, weekly of uh, new Japan WWE and aew as well as some pretty exciting articles coming up from like a, a number of freelancers that I'm really excited about. So uh, that would exciting. be at slash wrestling. Yeah
0: um yeah it's it's such a it's such a good section uh colette also has written one of my very favorite pieces that ever appeared on the (laughs) site about the uh the shonies that scott steiner owned so sadly closed sadly Sadly closed closed. so sad unbelievable pour one out (laughs) pour one out for big papa pumps (laughs) shonies If you were devastated like I was uh, about the uh, shooting in Atlanta that left eight Asian American sex workers uh, dead uh, this week, um, and you're kind of wondering what to do, and you're mad, and you're not sure where to put those feelings... Uh, Might I recommend Red Canary Song? It is an organization, a grassroots campaign uh, to protect migrant sex workers. Uh, Let me read their Who We Are Now section on the website so you get kind of an idea of the organization. Uh, Quote, we are the only grassroots Chinese massage parlor worker coalition in the United States. There are over 9,000 workplaces like like these across the country with no political representation or access to labor rights or collective bargaining. Anti-trafficking NGOs that claim to speak for migrants and sex trades promote increased policing and immigration control, which harms rather than helps migrant sex workers. We also organize uh, transnationally with Asian sex workers across the diaspora in Toronto, Paris, and Hong Kong, end quote. Um, You can go to redcanarysong.net, make a donation. Um, There are other organizations out there, too. I think it is imperative that we get involved and start calling things what they are. Um, I see a lot of casual Sinophobia in this job, um, because we are owned by Tencent and I see a lot of that. Um, I also know a lot of sex workers and I love a lot of sex workers in my life and, um, we need to be honest about protecting them and, um, making sure that they can always work in safety and happiness and that's something that i think folks if you're not turning a corner on that yet you you need to you need to understand that <laughs> the story this week it it, it involves so many different things at once it kind of made my head spin there's obvious white supremacy gun violence stuff but um maybe not enough even still yet spoken about anti-Asian violence, as well as, uh, violence against sex workers. So, um, we need to be honest about these things and call them what they are. And, um, red canary song is a, a good charity. I donated this week. And if you're able, I recommend it. Uh, thanks for your time. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Thanks for the Knowledge. Uh, I want to give my appreciation to Imran Khan and Colette Aaron for both stopping by and chatting with me uh, about many things. It was a really good time. Uh, if you want to follow me over on Twitter, over on the Hell site, you may do so at FloppyAdult. If you want to follow our wonderful producer, Paul Tamayo. You can do mm-hmm. that over at Polymayo. Uh, you should also go check out Paul's video he did on, uh, Dedeco, which is a Brazilian DJ that does game music. Absolutely loved it. Go to our YouTube channel, uh, to check it out. It's uh, a really wonderful thing. I hope Paul does more stuff like this in the future. It was wonderful. Uh, until next week, you are welcome.